So for these, these few weeks uh, leading up to Labor Day, we are trying to zero in on what it means uh, to change the world. Here, here's what I believe is that God wants to change this world for good. Do you believe that to be true, that God would, would like for this place to be a better place for all people? Yeah, yeah. And so we often as humans, um, I, I don't know if you know this, but most of us have opinions. Anybody have an opinion in the room? Yes, don't nudge your spouse right now. That's not a nice thing to do in the middle of a message. But um, we all have opinions and we all have perspectives. We all have ideas of how this world could be a better place. Uh, I am, anybody know what the Enneagram is? Anybody? A couple people know what the Enneagram is? It's this like ancient profiling kind of a system. And um, I'm a one on on the Enneagram system. Some of you who know what that is are looking like that explains quite a bit. Uh, the title for that one is Perfectionist. And so for me, I know how the world could be a better place. And if people would just take my advice, then this world would be a much better, I mean, it would just be a better place for everybody to live. But we all have these kind of opinions. Like if, if people would just do what I think they should do, then the world would be a better place. Jesus kicked off this, this whole concept of the church, believing that a small group of people focused on the kingdom of God, could make a radical difference in the world in which we live. And it's not the way that we, we normally think it is. And last week, uh, we, we looked at one scripture from Jesus where he, where he was talking to the religious leaders, and he said this, you are hypocrites because you, you close the door to the kingdom of God. You remember this, this passage? You close the door to the kingdom of God, and you don't let anyone in. I mean, you don't go in yourselves. I mean, this is a huge indictment on those of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus or those who, who, who consider ourselves people who walk with God. Jesus is saying, you're actually blocking people who honestly want to get to God. And so one of the ways we change the world is we open the door wide to whoever, anyone, anywhere would want to find the love of God. No boundaries, no barriers for that. Like everyone is welcome into the kingdom of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Like that no one is excluded from the kingdom. And, and so Jesus says, you know, stop. As, as people who consider yourselves religious people or, or, or people who walk with God, stop closing the door to others. Open those doors. Today, I want to take another step in this and how we might help change the world. And it's not by following my opinions. I, I promised you that would probably create a bigger mess than we already have. Uh, But what I want to do is I want to zero in, and we're going to talk about a couple of passages. But if you miss everything this morning, there's one phrase in a little story of Jesus that I don't want you to miss. And so I'll call you back in a couple of minutes and wake you up and say, don't miss this one phrase because I think it gives us an incredible picture of how we might engage in changing the world. A number of years ago, one of our good friends, Tammy, uh, was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. And we had a people, we had a group. You know what I mean by we had a people? Like we had a people, we had this group that surrounded her and her and her husband, Ryan, were good friends of ours. Uh, our kids grew up together and this group became her people during a very difficult time in her life. Her father passed away. I remember the, the uh, women from this group, um, they, uh, they went wig shopping with her because of the chemo and the radiation, and uh, they went wig shopping with her and all of these different things to walk her through this very difficult journey. We laughed together. We cried together. And I'll never forget uh, a few years after that initial diagnosis, 
sitting in San Diego at a restaurant with eight couples around a table celebrating her because she hit her 40th birthday. Didn't know what the future held, but celebrating the life that she had in that moment. And as I sat there looking around the table, I remember thinking, this is how you change the world. You walk with people through the most difficult moments of their lives. You walk with them. You advocate for them. You cry with them. You put your arm around them. And then you celebrate with them the good moments in life. It's about having a people. Um, I need a people. I, I need a people. And you need a people. Look at your neighbor and say, you need a people. No, seriously, look at your neighbor and say, you need a people. Like, you need a people. Like, none of us were intended to go through life by ourselves or just with our small family. Like, we need a people. Every single one of us need a people. And I'm going to try to convince you of this. You're going to get tired of me using bad English, but you need a people, and I need a people. We need a community. And I'm not talking about what you see here. I mean, we are a community. This is very important, what we do on Sunday mornings. But when you're going through the most difficult moments of your life, you need a people who know you and who you know. People who will cry with you. People who will carry you. People who will walk with you through the valleys that life will bring to you. So the story of Jesus Jesus uh, had been traveling and teaching. He was like an up-and-comer. And so there was always this like crowd who followed with Jesus. Now, this story is told in two different gospel accounts. It's told in the book of Mark, and it's also told in the book of Luke, which means it's probably pretty important if it's repeated in the Bible. Jesus had been traveling and teaching, and he returns home to his region, his area, and he finds his way to his house. Now, anytime Jesus begins speaking, people begin to gather around. It's like he has this draw on them. In today's world, you might think of it like an athlete. Anywhere an athlete goes, a well-known celebrity kind of athlete, it's like people gather around them. They want to be around them. Maybe this was what it was like in the ancient world for Jesus. Now, I want you to picture, if you can, a desert kind of region in the summer where it's really hot and dusty. Anyone with me? Maybe this was what it was like when Jesus returned to his hometown. And the story, the scene is set by saying Jesus was in the home teaching. And people crowded and filled in to where no one else could get in. People wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. He was talking about the kingdom of God. And then the story says that there were four men who carried their friend who happened to be a paralytic on a makeshift uh, kind of gurney. And they came to the door, and, and, and imagine a crowd like this, kind of in a house, and the doors are kind of jammed with people, and, and excuse me, I, I have someone who needs to get to Jesus, and people are like, I'm listening to Jesus. Uh, you can't fit in here, and that guy surely can't fit in here. There are way too many people. Find another way. You can imagine these four men who want their, their friend to meet Jesus, they, they probably walked all the way around the house trying to find a way in, but nowhere could they find a way into the house. And some of you already know the story. You know what they're going to do. These men looking around like, we have got to get our friend to Jesus. We think this will make a difference in his life. And so they find a ladder. They set it up against the house and 
I don't know how they did it, but they, they got up the ladder, all four of them, with the paralytic. And they, I imagine, were like listening on the roof, trying to find exactly, here he is, Jesus is like right here. We know how we can get to him. So they get down and it says that they remove tiles from the roof or they dig down into the roof, whatever kind of house it was. Can you imagine the homeowner at this point? They're like, they're like digging and, and they, they create a space. Now think about this. They create a space large enough for an entire man's body to be passed down, a, a paralytic's body to be passed down. So we're not talking about like a little leak in the roof. I mean, we were talking about a huge hole in the roof. So they cut this, this hole in the roof and they lower the man down right in front of Jesus. Now, do you imagine it got his attention? Yeah. I was going to rappel in this morning and see if that might work. But it got Jesus' attention. And Jesus looks at them. And he sees what kind of faith they have. And look what Jesus says. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I would have been this man's friend, I would have been like, he doesn't have very many sins. He can't even walk. Like, th there can't be that much that he's done wrong in this world. I mean, very insensitive, I know. But we don't need his sins forgiven. Now, Jesus knew a lot better than we do what the man needed. We don't need his sins forgiven. We need his legs to work. You know what I mean? Like, we need something else from you. Now, I'm sure the men were thankful that Jesus forgave his sins, but maybe a little disappointed for the time being. And Jesus knew what the religious people were thinking. So there were religious people hanging around, always listening to make sure Jesus said the right thing. And the religious leaders were like, who are you to forgive someone's sins? Like, that's something that only God can do. And Jesus said, well, was it easier to say, his sins are forgiven or to say to him, get up and walk and heal him? Well, which is easier? Which do you think is easier? To say his sins are forgiven, right? I mean, that, e any of us could say that to someone else. And Jesus, just to let them know the authority he carried, said to the man, get up, pick up your mat, walk and go home. And the man did. I mean, an unbelievable story. But here's what I don't want us to miss. One little phrase tucked into the, into the story. Here it is. Seeing whose faith? Their faith. Who's there? His friends and him. Seeing their faith. Seeing their faith. He forgave their sins. He healed him, and he changed their world. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that kind of moment, seeing their faith? You see, Jesus and God, uh, their, their idea, their ideal world is a world in which we are so connected to others. There is something that bonds us, a faith that moves us to be different kinds of people. It moves us to carry others when they can't walk themselves. It moves us to be carried by others when we can't walk ourselves. And I'm not just talking about physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. 
Well, the very next story, uh, Jesus goes to this banquet uh, with, with Levi, who was a tax collector. It's interesting. Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Now, Levi would have been thought of as a sinner, kind of an outsider to the faith, but Jesus goes to his house and eats. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests, in some translations it says sinners, um, tax collectors and sinners, I think those two can go together, but anyway, uh, they also ate with them. There, there is something about sitting around a table and looking at others, like story after story after story they is more important than I. Like this, this, this group is, is more important than just me. Around here, we've been starting to use this phrase that circles are greater than rows. Circles are greater than rows. Now, rows are good. It's good to gather on Sundays. Some of you right now are like, sweet, I don't have to come next week. No, no, still come. Like rows are good, but circles are better than rows. Why are circles better than rows? Because circles are where you can see one another where you can hear one another, where you can know one another, where you can be known by one another. Groups put us in these circles. Some of you have people, you have community, you have groups already established, but many of us in this room do not have a people. We don't have a group. I've lived in a few different places around the country. I grew up in, in Alabama. I lived in Indiana, then I moved to Oklahoma, and now out in Arizona. And I would say this about our, our, our community, our, our culture in Arizona. We are a friendly people. I, I feel like we're a friendly people out here, but we don't do relationship very well. We, we scratch the surface. Now, this isn't true for everybody. This is a broad stroke, but I found that it's a little bit more difficult here to get into relationship at a deep, deep level than I have in other places in the country. Some of it's culture, some of it's the kind of community, what we're, we're about. And so some in this room have never found a people. You haven't yet found your people and your community. And that's what we wanna help do. That's what we wanna create in this church. Here's the big reason, is because groups allow us to practice the one another's of the Christian faith. The one another's, um, throughout the New Testament are the ways that we are called to do life with one another. That's why we call them the one another's. And it's found throughout the New Testament. And I want to just give you a few of them. Here, here are a few of them. Pray for, what's that next line? One another. Pray for one another. Quick question. Have, has, have any of you this week been praying for your people? You don't have to raise your hand or shake your head. Some of you, it's absolutely yes. Some of you are like, I haven't prayed for anyone in years except for myself. Pray for one another. Teach one another. I know some of you are, are thinking, I, I am in no position to teach someone else. If you have that thought, you're in the perfect place to be used by God to teach someone else. All of us can learn. All of us are ready to grow. We need one another. Bear one another's burdens. Anybody in this room have a burden that you need someone to help you carry? Some? Absolutely not. Others? You are carrying something right now that is weighing you down. Some of you are in this room because of that burden, and you feel like there's nowhere else you can go. Bear one another's burdens. Serve one another. Encourage one another. And here's the biggie. This is the one that none of us like doing. Confess your sins to one another. Now, who's ready for that? Anybody want to sign up for groups right now? <laughs> Confess your sins to one another 
so that you might be healed. Confess your sins to one another. You know what group does this, I think, better than just about any other group? AA. I mean, think about what AA is. It's a circle of people who, who look at each other and say, my name is Matt, and I'm a mess. Some of you are like, you need to confess that on a regular basis, Matt. I, kn- I know, I do. And you need to as well. You need a people that you can be honest with. Some of you are hiding things and you've been stuffing things down inside of your heart and inside of your soul for so long, you don't even know who the real you is anymore. And you need a people to open up to. And just expressing the truth about what's going, down, going on down deep in your soul would free you to live in a new way. That's how we change the world is we create opportunities for this kind of thing to happen. Groups are the ideal place. They create the ideal environment for us to pursue spiritual growth in our lives, and every single one of us need it, and healthy relationships with other people. Groups create the ideal environment and opportunity for us to pursue spiritual growth in our lives. Now, I want to give you some real benefits and tell you and me, remind myself, remind you why groups are so important. Some of you are like, is this just a big commercial for groups? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. And it doesn't have to be a group in our church. Like, you just need a people, regardless of where you live and what you're up to. You need a people. And, And here's why. Because groups increase my limited perspective. I have a perspective, and you have a perspective. My perspective right now is, is here. This is what I see. But you have a perspective, and this perspective is different than the perspective that I had when I was sitting there. And I need you to tell me your perspective. I, I don't have a wide enough perspective. I need more voices in my life to, to open my perspective, and so do you. You need a broader perspective. We talked about tribalism last week. For those of you who were here, tribalism is this, uh, this, this concept that many sociologists talk about, that we, we, we surround ourselves with people who are just like us, and we begin um, speaking in this like echo chamber. Everybody says the same thing that we say and believes the same thing that we believe, and it becomes just this like, like roundabout, and we need to widen our perspective. Here's another reason we need community. It creates accountability. And here's what I know about myself and I know about humanity. We don't like accountability, but we need accountability. We don't like accountability, but we need accountability, don't we? Like every single one of us needs some accountability in our life. We need someone to hold us to certain things. It calls, uh, community calls for commitment and discipline in our lives. It calls us to do something on a regular base, basis and get with the same people again and again and commit, actually commit to something. This is how spiritual growth happens. Um, quick question. Any, any members of a health facility in the room? Do, do I have any health, uh, health facility friends in the room? Some of you are like, I don't really want to raise my hand. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Anybody belong to a health club? Yes. Now, For that health club to work, you have to commit to being there 
and actually doing something when you're there. Can I get an amen from somebody? <laughs> like, you can't just have a health club membership and be healthy. Like, it doesn't work that way. You have to commit to it. Well, spiritual growth isn't just about saying, I, I signed up for a group or I, I go to a church, I have a home church, then I'm, I'm going to be a spiritually mature person. No, no, you have to commit and take steps to get to the place where you are maturing and growing in your perspective. It's, it's about accountability. It's about commitment and discipline. Now, here's the part about groups that I'm not a big fan of, is that it challenges my selfishness. Like I'm a selfish human being, just like all of you are. We're selfish. That's just part of our nature as human beings. And being in a group challenges my selfishness because it includes other people around the circle. It moves me out of selfishness. And then it invites me to actually serve the people in the circle, like to serve someone else. The best group you could ever be a part of is a dinner group. You know what, you know what I mean? Like dinner parties, and I'm serious about that. They're, they're found throughout the New Testament. You should read the Bible. Like it talks about dinner parties and banquets. It talks about heaven like it's a dinner party. The best part, kind of group that you could ever do is a dinner group. Why? Because it puts you in a circle with other people around the table, and something happens when you start eating food. And like you, you begin to talk about life with other people, and you laugh, and you cry, and maybe you even pray for, for someone else. Like dinner parties are an unbelievable way to build community in your life. It's one of the best ways, and it causes us to serve others. And here is the benefit that all of us need. Community carries us emotionally when we can't carry ourselves. Community will carry you emotionally when you can't carry yourself anymore. Now, because we live in Scottsdale and Fountain Hills and Phoenix in this area, many of us uh, are self-sufficient. We don't need anyone to carry us. I know, I get it. Like we're good, we don't need anybody else. And if that's our perspective, we need to be challenged to carry someone else emotionally, to look around and like those four guys who carried their friend on the mat, some of you who say, I've got it all together, I don't need anybody to carry me emotionally, you're probably covering something up, but okay, I'll go with you for a second. We, like you need to carry someone else. Like you need to pick someone else up on the mat and carry them toward Jesus because they need you. Like this world would be a better place if we would be a part of a community, a people who would begin to know us and who we could begin to know. Okay, I told you I was going to talk about this. Here's where the commercial ends, and then we'll move on. Okay, here we go. This little card is group's interest card. Look how that worked. Just on today, we happen to have these group interest cards for you. Um, these were in your, you can pick one up afterwards too. These were in your, in your packet, but a couple of things that I want to point out. Number one, if, if you're new to McDowell, if you're, if you're new to uh, uh, the idea of a group, the best place to start is a group that we called Starting Point. Clever, I know. But it's a great group to step into for the first time where everyone is new. And it begins September the 19th on Wednesday nights here. Child care is available. It's a great group. Uh, we have life groups that will meet in people's homes. We have men's only groups, women's only groups. We have couple groups. We have kid-friendly groups. We have kids-not-friendly group. <laughs> All kinds of groups. 
We even have activity groups like biking and yoga and hiking and all these different things to get you connected with other people. Uh, we, we know that some of you are in a stage of life where I talk about this and you're like, there's just no way we can do a group. We have kids, our house is chaotic, it's just not possible. We've tried. On Wednesday nights this fall, we're going to offer childcare at the church. Uh, 5.30 to 8.30, three hours. You can do a group in that window. Drop your kids off here. Someone say hallelujah. And then <laughs> go to dinner with a group. Like create a dinner group. Start a dinner group. Do something. Uh, you have to register. We need to know that your kids are coming. But we're offering that childcare to help you because we believe groups are so important for your spiritual growth and my spiritual growth. We need each other. We need to commit to something to pursue spiritual growth. These journals were written to help groups walk out what we're talking about on Sunday mornings. Okay, enough of the commercial, right? So when Jesus knew that his time was coming near the end, he gathered his disciples into a group and he gathered them around a table, a common table, the Passover table. And he redefined that Passover meal in a way that affects us today. I've, I've said this for years. It's, it's one of my favorite phrases. Everything changes around a table. Everything changes around a table. Because around a table, all of us need to eat. Every, every one of us needs the same exact thing. We need food for our bodies. We need water. Around a table, we're all equal. So Jesus gathers his disciples around a table. And I'm sure they sat there that night laughing and reminiscing, Jesus knowing that this was it. And uh, Scripture tells us that as he's sitting at this table, he picks up this piece of bread and he breaks it. And he gives it to his disciples and he said, I want you to take this and eat. All of you, in the same way, need bread, so take this and eat this. And he said, in the future when you eat this, you'll be reminded of my body which is broken for you. He passed it to each of the disciples and each one of them took it and ate. And then he took this cup of wine that was on the table. And there probably would have been a number of cups of wine representing different things for the meal. And he took this one cup of wine and he said to his disciples something that sounds very strange. If we would have been sitting around that table, we would have kind of scratched our heads and thought, man, Jesus needs some emotional help right now. I don't really know what Jesus is talking about. But he said, this is my, this is my blood. Like This is the new covenant with God. And it's made from, from my blood, which will be poured out for each one of you. And he said, so take this and drink and remember me. He did this in this, this circle, this, this dinner group of sorts. Then we see that early church, almost every time the early church got together, they did this to remember. And what do you think they remembered? His body, which was broken, his blood, which was poured out, and my guess is they remembered that night. Like these words of Jesus, which took on new meaning, his body broken, hanging on that cross, his blood poured out. 
for the forgiveness of all of our sins. So this morning, we come to a table together as a community, and uh, we take a piece of bread and a little cup of juice to be reminded that we're all in the same place. We're all in need of God's love and grace and forgiveness. Did you know that this morning, that you need God, that you need God? You need Jesus' forgiveness, his love, and his grace. And did you know that he gives it to you freely? It's done. It's taken care of. And that is good news for all of us today. So they're going to pass the, uh, the elements. And if, you, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to take communion with us today. You don't need to be a member of this church. Uh, we welcome you to take the table. If you have, take the elements. If you have kids with you, they are welcome to take communion as well. This is a great opportunity for you to walk with them and teach them what this means uh, to us as a church. But let's hold these elements and we'll take them together.